Brazos Point Fellowship. Brazos Point Fellowship. Um, Caleb's going to spend the summer down in Brazos Point Fellowship ministering as a, as a youth intern to, uh, as part of a team that, that cares for like, what, 250-some-odd high school kids. Uh-huh. Um, and, of course, he's not going to... He's not going to have to be in charge of all of them. He just is going to have like 225 of them. Uh, um, and I've just, I, it's, it's just been such a blessing to my heart to get to know Caleb and the vision he has for reaching out and touching other people's lives uh, with the love of Jesus. And so, so uh, I just wanted you to be able to, to have this experience to receive whatever God has given him to share with you. And so you can have a clear image in your mind where you're going to be praying for him all summer. And so I'm going to turn this off and then it'll be... I'm just going to say this one prayer. Lord, thank you for blessing Caleb, giving him a special wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of your word and uh, what your spirit wants to impart to us today. We just praise you, Lord, for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jackie. Um, today, uh, I have put together a PowerPoint to help me organize my thoughts. And what I want to open with today is a picture that actually was taken yesterday. And uh, let me see. This, actually, wait. This is, this is a friend of mine. His name is Marshall Jed, Ruth's grandson, who is in the Corps of Cadets at Texas A&M. And I did not... Uh, as it turns out, yesterday, the very, very same day that that picture was taken, my dad and, and I drove out from Marble Falls to College Station to investigate and look into uh, a house that I will be most likely living at in the fall, as I myself will be transferring as a student to study at Texas A&M in the fall. And we drove by, uh, one of the potential roommates drove us through College Station on his route to where he parks to, to ride the bus to class just so I could get better acclimated to the city. And we drove right by the building where if you see in the distance, there's that huge, I think it's a sculpture of an Aggie class ring. We drove right by that building and there was a little, you know, crowds of people around there because as this roommate told us, it was parents weekend. And during this weekend, a lot of students, a lot of upperclassmen will be receiving their Aggie ring, which is a big deal and honest, honestly a, a bigger deal than actual, an actual degree from A&M is to, is to have the Aggie ring. And so, and so we got home yesterday from this trip, about six hours in the car, good long day, and, and we look at Facebook, and this is what we see. We see Marshall and, and Mr. Chris Jett there, and, and other pictures show Marshall getting his ring that same day. And what happened was we, we drove right by this building, maybe not at the exact same time that Marshall was there getting his ring, but in the same day, and, and what, you, what you can see here in this picture is that there's a lot of other people, a lot of other people around them. I'm getting their pictures or rings with, you know, the sculpture in the background. And I did see some people, but the thought never occurred to me that my friend, one of my childhood friends would be over there on this same day getting his Aggie ring, which is a big deal. I didn't, I had no idea. I wasn't aware of that. At the time, I was trying to look around and memorize the route that this guy took to Texas A&T, how to get to his classes during the school year. And I don't think it was at the exact same time. But even though I know that Marshall went to A&M and he might even be eligible for his Aggie ring, I didn't think, oh, well, maybe Marshall's getting his ring today. The thought never, never crossed my mind. But it happened. I didn't even find out until I was all the way back here at Marble Falls. 
which not that that would have changed my plans too much. I don't know if we would have been able to break off and see him, but I would have, I would have thought of him and been, oh, what a momentous occasion for my friend. Those thoughts did not even cross my mind. And so I, th- I think it, it reflects a truth that sometimes we're so focused on something, the task at hand maybe, we are reliable to miss things going on around us that are significant. And what I want to talk more about today is one's, one's, how one's focus and one's attentiveness to the Lord shapes one's ability, that changes one's ability to be secure in him. And today I want to recount and look at and analyze some stories in brief of three biblical characters whose, whose stories show different levels, different degrees of awareness of, of, and sensitivity to the nearness of God. And these three characters that I want to look at are Moses, Gideon, and Samson. And uh, I have some different scriptures on, on this PowerPoint that I want to look at, and it's not their entire life because that's way too much, but just little snapshots of different, of different parts that I'll try to um, create some context around. But there's just points that I want to get to for each of them that help contribute to this thought of our awareness, our sensitivity shapes our actions. It shapes our responses. It, what, what we see, what we're focused on, changes how we go about our day. If I had known my friend was in College Station getting his ring, I would have tried to call him or say something, but I had no idea. I missed that, I missed that chance. Even though I was very close to him, I didn't even think he would be nearby. And so this first person that I want to look at is Moses. And, and the text that I have is um, going to be from Exodus, that's really small in hindsight, Exodus 33, and it's, and it's just a little snippet of five verses, but what happens before this is that this is right after Israel, the nation of Israel has sinned against the Lord and made this, this graven image, this golden calf at the foot of the mountain of the Lord when Moses is up there doing his business, getting the Ten Commandments, and he comes back and there's this, there's this sin that's just springing up in the camp, and there's some resolution that takes place, but the Lord sees that happen, and he says, wow, these, these people have just turned against me. I've just, I've just established my covenant with them, and they immediately break it. And so what the Lord says at the beginning of this chapter, 33, is that he is going to pull back from the people. He's, he's, his presence is going to stop going with them, but he's going to send a guide, an, an angel, to lead them to the promised land, which... The covenant involves going to the promised land. That's a, that's a big deal so that the people of Israel can be established. But God says, I'm not going to go with you because you broke my covenant and I told you not to do that. And so here, I'm going to send this tour guide with you and it's going to be all right. But what, what I have up here is Moses' response to that. And what happens is Moses says to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. And consider as well that this nation is your people. It's making an appeal to the Lord. And the Lord answers, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses replies, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. If you're not going to go with us, don't move us anywhere. We'd rather be here with you. 
For how, and then he continues, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people group on the face of the earth? There's only one God, there's only one chosen people, and you being with us is what sets us apart, is, is what he's saying. And the Lord says, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And, th- and th- those comments by the Lord of themselves are very encouraging, that he knows us by name, and that his presence will go with the people of Israel and will give them rest, and that, that is what gives them rest. And, and that's an encouraging thing to look at, but I want to focus a little bit more on what Moses has to say in this moment, because what Moses says is he doesn't even consider the option of going with the tour guide, with the angel, into the wilderness, into the promised land without God going with them. Moses appeals to the Lord's favor. Lord, if, if, if I found favor in your sight, help, help me know you. I want to find more favor in your sight. Please don't leave us. And the Lord responds and says that he'll, his presence will go with the Israelites and that'll give him rest. And then Moses jumps on this opportunity saying, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring me up from here. And they're still in the wilderness. They are not to the promised land yet. And that's a big deal because what we see in this moment is that Moses is more concerned with the closeness of God to the people than the people are geographically close to their goal. Because they've been in, a, in the wilderness for a little bit. They've, they're still coming out of Egypt and they are, they're almost there. They're almost to this promised land. But God says, well, I'll let you go ahead, but I'm not, I'm not going to go with you. And Moses realizes, he prioritizes the presence of God above receiving the land that God has sworn to give to his people. He'd rather be with the Lord. He'd rather have the Lord's blessing and favor right where they are rather than have a, have a discounted amount of God's presence and then get what they want and then a- achieve the goal that they have set before them. And here, Moses' security, Israel's security, is, is found in relationship and communion with the Lord versus Moses sacrificing a little bit of that so that he can fulfill his task, which is to, to, to lead and to shepherd the people to the promised land. And really, that's his ministry. He's willing to put that on hold so that they would remain with the Lord in that time, in that place of, of, of desert, and they're, they're, they're not there yet, and they're still being, being guided by the Lord through the wilderness. They're depending on him for every meal, but he'd rather stay there than go ahead without the Lord's presence, without that nearness of him. And I have in parentheses up in that top corner, excellent, because this, this is one of the best examples of the three people I want to talk about today. Moses and this statement of if you're not going to go with me, I'll, I'm right here. I'll, I'll stay. I'll planted where I am until you say move or until you lead me to the next place. And so that, that's, that is the first point I want to look at. Moses, he is so concerned and sensitive to the presence of God. He'd rather stay in an uncomfortable place than move on to a slightly more cushy arrangement without the Lord's presence. The next person that I want to talk about is Gideon, and he's a little different. Gideon, um, and he's, yeah, I know, he's, he's got some good, some bad, but what I really want to, what I want to paint the picture before I really read these verses is that what's happened 
historically in the book of Judges is Israel's in captivity. They're being occupied by the people of Midian, this, this outside force that the Lord has allowed to come in and overtake Israel and, and invade them and oppress them. And so this is not a good time for Israel as they're coming in. They're, they're being oppressed. And that is actually, according to the book of Judges, that's actually some the result of some consequences of the people turning after false gods. And so we find Gideon in this passage of scripture in the middle of some national consequences of, of being imprisoned and oppressed. And the angel of the Lord comes and sits underneath the terebinth, the oak tree at Ophrah, which belongs to this man, Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon is beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from, this, from these, these bad guys, these Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon, well aware of what's going on nationally, says, you sure? (laughs) Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers told us, recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the angel says, yeah. The angel of the Lord turns and says, go, um, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Did I not send you? And Gideon says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? I, behold, my clan is, is the weakest. I'm, in, I'm from Manasseh. Nobody knows about Manasseh. And I am the least of my father's house. The Lord says to him, but I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. That's the encouragement is that I'm going to be with you. And actually, what happens between this slide and the next is that uh, Gideon's like, okay, if you're really the angel of the Lord, let me scurry off to my house and bring some pancakes and some food, and I'll bring it here and show me a sign and prove to me that you're the angel of the Lord. And so the angel, you know, has the food and has a walking stick, and he just, you know, touches the food with the tip of his walking stick, and it catches on fire and is consumed. Gideon's like, whoa, what's that? And then the angel vanishes. And then this next, this next passage, a couple of verses later, at this point, Gideon, he perceives that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon, he said, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord says to him, peace be to you. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't fear. You shall not die. Even though you were a little doubtful at first. And then Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to that same family of Gideon, the, uh, the Abiezrites. And in some study of Judges I, I did recently, uh, I looked at that underlined section, the Lord is peace. And that name for God is Jehovah Shalom. Very literal, the Lord is peace. And it's very significant to me that Gideon would call the altar the Lord is peace because on the one hand the Lord does say peace be to you but on the other hand Gideon looks around and the oppressors are still there and the military situation is exactly the same at at this point and as you may know about Gideon he still needs some convincing that he's able to do what God has called him to do and he, he does the whole thing with the fleece and if it's wet or if it's dry then I know that I can do it and and God works with them, of course. And even later, Gideon's army gets shrank smaller and smaller and smaller. 
so that Israel doesn't boast about its own strength, but in the Lord's strength. But at this point, none of that's happened yet. But Gideon reaches a point of realizing and comprehending that the Lord is peace, in the, like right here, right now, in this moment. He, at first, Gideon measures the nearness of God because he doesn't believe God's with them. He thinks, is God with us? You sure, Mr. Angel? And he realizes we're, we're occupied by these enemies. How can God be close to us if these bad things are happening in our lives? How, do, how, does, that, how does that figure? Which makes sense because it was actually consequences. I can see how he had those thought processes, but this is the angel of the Lord saying, the Lord's with you. So I think he's a little bit more credible source there in, in that moment. And Gideon expresses some fearfulness and doubt, and he needs more convincing, even after this point again. But Gideon arrives at the point of the Lord is peace. He realizes that, and he's quieted by that. And the conflict is yet unsolved. It still needs to be done. Battles still need to be fought. But right then, even in that moment when his heart's going to, where am I going to get the swords? Where am I going to find the guys to fight? He realizes right there that the Lord is peace. And, and, and though he may not necessarily keep that mentality for the rest of the story, in this moment he sees it and he gets it. And he realizes the Lord is with him even though all these, all these bad guys are all around him and all this problem still has to be solved, he realizes, I can have peace right now because the Lord is the source of peace. Not, not even a, a free Israel or a prosperous Israel. No, but the Lord is what brings peace to this situation. And this last, also in the book of Judges, talks about Samson. And Samson... I didn't really plan for this to look this way, but we go from good to average to not so good as far as being aware of the Lord, being sensitive to the Lord. And so a couple chapters later, um, the story of Samson is is a pretty well-known, pretty established um, story in biblical history. And at this point, this snippet is after Samson's killed lions and carried doors off on his shoulders. But he's fallen for Delilah, and she is continually trying to figure out where his strength comes from. And he's kind of led her on a, on a chase, and he's kind of toyed with her and told her some untruths so that he can maybe exploit more of the Philistines. But she starts to really wheedle and bag and, and get inside of Samson's head, and eventually he, he cracks. And he says, okay, fine, I'm tired of you asking. This is where I get my strength from. A razor has never been on my head. I have been a Nazarite to the Lord from the day of my birth. And so if you cut my hair off, then I'd, I'll be weak like any other man. Then he's okay and kind of just toodles off and doesn't think very much of that very important deal. But Delilah in this moment says, oh, okay, I've done it. I've figured it out. And so she calls. Well, whenever she saw that Samson had told her all his heart, she went and called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up again for he has told me everything. He's told me all of his heart. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money payment in their hands and she made Samson sleep on her knees and she calls a guy, a man, to come and shave off the seven locks on his head. And then Delilah begins to torment him and Samson's strength leaves. It left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And Samson wakes up 
and, and here's his first thought. His first thought that pops into his head is, I will go out as the other times, because he's, he's beaten up a lot of Philistines in his day. I will go out just like the other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He, was, he, didn't, he, had, no, he had no idea that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines are there and they seize him and they poke out his eyes and, and they bring him down to Gaza, this large Philistine stronghold, put him in prison with metal shackles and he, he's grinding at the mill in prison and his hair begins to grow back. And there's more to that story, which, which is exciting. There's a, there's a little bit of messy re- redemption and, and vengeance that comes with that, but that's not really where I want to go today. What, what I want to look at is this, this bolded line Samson gets up and he's like, all right, I'm going to get out there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take down these Philistines with my strength like, I've, like I'm used to doing. But he had no idea that the Lord had left him. And Samson was so out of step, he was so out of touch, senseless even, to the Spirit of God that he had no idea that God was, was departed from him, that he wasn't nearby. And to back that up, um, Samson isn't just a strong guy. In, in the earlier passages, there's... It says that the spirit of the Lord rushes upon Samson and enables him to do what he needs to do. Enables him to tear apart a lion like one tears a goat and, and, and other such stories. But he doesn't think in those terms. He thinks, I'm just a strong guy and it doesn't matter how close the Lord is. I'll just go up and wake up and, and do what I do. And he's out of touch with where his strength really comes from. Instead, Samson's trusted in his own strength, which was a gift from God. But his deliverance would come from the Lord, if he had thought about that. But he, he tried to do it himself. And at that point, his hair was also cut off. And he was completely out of touch with the fact that God had left him. And so, I have a quote here by C.S. Lewis, which is really long. But this is the step that connects these three characters to us today. The, this, this quote, which I'll read, connects us to these characters. And it says, um, that is why the real problem of, Christ, of the Christian life comes when pe- where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back and listening to that other voice taking that other point of view, letting the larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in, and so on, continually, all day, standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings coming out of the wind. We can only do it for moments at first, like Gideon. Gideon only had a moment of that when he realized the Lord is peace. But from those moments, the new sort of life will be spreading through our system because now we are letting him work at the right parts of us. It is the difference between paint, which is merely laid on the surface, and a dye or stain which soaks right through into the deeper layers of, I guess, the wood or the, you know, paneling. And that talks about the, the way we think, the way we wake up. What are our first thoughts in the morning? What are our first priorities? What are those things that we naturally decide this has to be our goal today? This has to be done. This ha- sometimes it has to be done. But this quote suggests that the first things, all the wishes and hopes that may be really good, maybe we're really excited about a football game or something, that's still not the best thing, though, to, to be grounded in, to be secure in, to be sensitive to, even. And... Uh, 
these biblical characters show different levels of attentiveness, different levels of sensitivity to God's presence. And as a result, their actions play out differently. They respond and their stories look different just because they're different people, but also because they were maybe not so attentive to the Lord. They were not so sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Things did not go their way. So sometimes we wake up with a heart like Samson, choosing to take on the day and and use our finesse and our abilities and our skills and our energy to manually accomplish the things that need doing. That's really how life is encouraged in the world today is to to work hard, to hustle, to to, to do all you can and you can sleep when you're dead and things like that. Um, But sometimes even as Christians, we're lured into working and doing and accomplishing and achieving first and producing first versus having a receptive, pers- per- a receptive perspective without ever inviting the Lord into our circumstances. Other days, uh, we're like Gideon, and we wake up and we, we were, we're torn a little bit because we know what we need to do, but we have an idea of what we ought to do. And sometimes we're fearful and wonder if God really cares because how could, how could we get through all of this on our own? Are you still with me? Are you going to help me accomplish these things? And we're just not ready. And we're just not sure. And we're just not steady. And here we need encouragement and reminding of God's character and God's promises so that we can arrive at the point where Moses is, where, Lord, even if my plans crumble today, even if nothing that I am called to do, like maybe if, even if I don't finish my, my sermon for Sunday, even if I don't um, feel good about my planning for the potluck on Wednesday or whatever. Even if, even if the things I want to do for you don't get done, is it going to be okay? Is it all right? Is it all right if I can just sit and be with you right here instead of going out and doing things? Kind of like Mary and Martha who, had, who was so distracted with good serving that she missed out on sitting at the feet of Jesus in Luke. And we're brought to this moment of the Lord is peace right now in this moment, regardless of what's going on around us. And in truth, we cannot effectively run from God's presence. Psalm 139 talks about, where can I run from your presence? Where can I run from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I go um, rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And so it's clear that even though we may not invite God into our day, he's, he's still around. He's still present, working in our world. But there is clearly a difference when we take a step of acknowledgement that leads to an intimate awareness of God, sensitivity to God, that he is even, even here, he's with us. The awareness of God's nearness, of God with us even. But what must we do to, to get to that point? What can we do to refocus and, and, and take a second and not be concerned about what the day holds? How, how can we get off on the right foot and be sensitive even to God's presence? Because sometimes it's just easy to be distracted and it's easy to be swept off by the things that we know we have to do but think we should do first or second or third. Um, and I've... And, and, to answer that, I have, I have two scriptures at the end that I didn't type up, that I wanted to actually read out of my Bible. And the first one um, comes from Ephesians chapter 2, and it's towards the, 
the last half of it, and there's more around it that's really good, but just same thing with a snapshot of what I really want to focus on, and it's uh, beginning in um, chapter 2, verse 13, declaring, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and to you who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And that's really where I want to stop, honestly. For through him, we both have access to the Father. We have access to the nearness of God, to to that relationship and intimacy with God, which is not actually the condition that you see in the Old Testament. Christ has made a way for us, even when we wake up like Samson or Gideon, and we're not immediately focused on the right things. There's a way for him to reach us even then. And the last scripture that I want to look at is John 10. It's 1 through 4. And Jesus is speaking and he says, Truly, truly I say to you, he who does not, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber of the sheep. Let me see. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens the door, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And the reason that that's the last one I want to talk about is that's how we can be sensitive to God's presence, to him, to his Holy Spirit, is, is to remember that we are his sheep. If we are in Christ Jesus, we're a, we're a new creation, and we have the ability to recognize his voice, even in a bunch of other voices. Even though um, Jesus is with us in College Station during Parents Weekend, there's a lot of people all over the place, and I would not think that he would be there in the midst of all those other things. He is. And sometimes when I'm walking along the sidewalk and I'm right next to one of my friends who hasn't said a word and I didn't know he was there, he was still there. But there's a step of looking and acknowledging and realizing. And so how that can be done is is we can remind ourselves that we know his voice. And he goes before us and he calls us to himself even as his sheep. And sheep aren't too smart. I'm not, I mean, but we know our shepherd's voice. We can hear and and distinguish. There's something in us, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us that can resonate and receive and hear hear Jesus calling us out of the storm, out of the clamor and chaos that we live in. Um, and, And in the end, it comes down to well, there isn't as much grass over there where I hear this voice coming from, but I I recognize that voice. 
It's the voice of my shepherd. Jesus is calling me over there, but there's not, a lot of, there's not as much water. There's not as much grass as there is over here. But I want to be where he is. I want to be near him. Just like Moses, don't, don't lead me away from this desert that I'm in unless you go with me. I'm okay to stay here in this uncomfortable place because it's not about our circumstances that we're secure in. It's the person of Jesus and his, his closeness to us that is a better blessing than anything else the world, the world can provide. And one way that I like to begin or end lessons when I teach at Faith Academy is to go through a list of principles that Jackie talks about all the time. And to, rem- and to just lovingly remind all of you that you are deeply loved by God today, even today. And you are, you're fully accepted by God today, even though you may be really aware of those things that may not be so acceptable. According to Colossians 3, we're dead, and Christ lives in us, and he has made us acceptable in his sight. And, and, and sometimes we, we, we worry about, can we be forgiven? Are we forgiven? And how does that change everything? If we're not forgiven, what does that mean? But we can be confident that we're completely and permanently forgiven by God. And there's not an action we can do that would maybe lessen God's forgiveness, but it's our response to it. So let's be responsive to God's forgiveness today. One that I think relates to today is that we're lavishly, richly blessed by God. Sometimes our lives don't reflect that. Sometimes the wilderness doesn't reflect that we're blessed by God because wouldn't there be more trees and grass and nice things? But the ultimate blessing is we're blessed with him and his, pre- his, his abiding presence and nearness with us that makes the inhabitable places habitable. And, uh, and last of all, you, we're, we are embraced by God as his children. Not like a child that's tolerated and pushed to the corner, but a child that is embraced and loved and even hugging this child is a joy to God. And loving us causes the Lord to experience joy. And so that is who we want to be close to, is the God who, who enables us t- to be loved and forgiven and accepted. And so with that, I would like to pray just to close today. Um, so if you, if you would just bow, bow your heads with me. Jesus, thank you for being near to us, even when our circumstances would tempt us to think otherwise. Uh, I ask that um, you would un- unstop our ears so that we can hear your voice more clearly, more often, more deeply, God, Lord. Help us to be uh, willing to go where your voice is. Help us to be convinced that near your heart is home to us and that the closer we are to you, the better it gets. Convince us that you love us and that we can trust you even more. And uh, I ask that even though tomorrow we may wake up and um, have Samson's mentality of a rat race, I've got to wake up, I've got to achieve or else I'm going to waste the day, I ask that you would... uh, Speak to our hearts and remind us that the life you give us is better than the life we can try and snatch for ourselves. Lord, thank you for these moments we share. Thank you for your word that's true and your promises that are true and that go before us and go with us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.